Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. I don't know if anybody noticed Curtis's water bottle, but that is a Yeti water bottle. If you don't know anything about water bottles, that water bottle probably costs more than your first car. So if anybody's hard up, hit up Curtis. That is a nice water bottle. He'll tell you it was a gift. Don't judge me, but I, I was impressed by that water bottle there. As we dig into the Bible this morning, I want to remind everybody about what it is that we are looking at, what we're delving into when we open up God's Word. The Bible itself as a book is amazing in the sense that it is actually 66 different books, as I'm sure you're probably aware. We have our Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible was written in, in three different languages. You have Hebrew, you have some segments of Aramaic, and you have Greek. It took 44 men, really, if you add up all the authors of the Bible, about 44 different authors over a period of over a thousand years to form the Bible that we have today. Yet, as we begin in Genesis chapter 1 and end at the end of Revelation, we see a united theme. We, we see God's plan laying out His scheme of redemption. We see the fall of the garden. We see the consequences of sin. And we see how God is going to save mankind. We see Him make promises to people like Abraham. We see Him lay out the future for the coming of the kingdom. We find up Jesus being born and we have Him teaching and we have establishment of the church and the letters written to it and so on. And in that magnificent book, the Bible that we are reading from this morning, we even have recorded for us a sermon preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not a sermon preached about Him, which usually is what you know I'm preaching, but we have His sermon. The Sermon on the Mount that we've been digging into for the past several weeks, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have the actual words of Jesus. A sermon that He preached to some of His earliest followers there on what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That probably be more considered a hill, you know, historically. Mountains in, um, you know, Jerusalem are a little bit different than the Sierra Nevadas. But here Jesus is on this mount. He sits down and He opens up the, the Word from Him's heart and he, you know, he delivers it to the people there. And as we've been looking at week after week, we've been emphasizing this idea of kingdom living. And really to put it plainly, the idea of living in the kingdom is the idea of doing what God wants. It's the idea of following Him. Jesus is King and He reigns and rules over our life and we submit to Him as citizens of that kingdom. But all throughout this sermon, Jesus has been taking your normal way of viewing faithfulness, your normal way of viewing religion, your normal way of even viewing what righteousness and blessedness is all about, and he turns it completely upside down. For example, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he starts off with, blessed are the, then he goes into poor, meek, you know, those that are persecuted. We normally wouldn't say that. We would say, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are those that have Yeti water bottles, right? That's what we would say, but yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Turns your idea of what it means to be blessed upside down. And then he goes into the idea of what it means to be righteous and what it means to actually follow the old law. He said, you have heard it said this, but then he says, you know, you didn't even actually follow it properly. You know, you thought religion was all about these do's and don'ts, but you know what I want? I want your heart. And what we see in this sermon is that blessed people are those that are good 
from the inside out. Because what we're seeing time after time again is that righteousness is more about who we are than what we do. Now, what we do is important. Jesus lays out things we're supposed to do and not do. However, true righteousness is supposed to be what we are, who we are. Holiness is not something you can check off. I've done these things, therefore I'm holy. No, holiness is, is a character trait of the believer. At least it is supposed to be. Because righteousness starts on the inside. And that makes sense. As you look at what I think is the key verse of this entire sermon. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I think he sums up his idea of this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Where he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were assumed to be righteous. People looked at them and said, oh, they have it all figured out. They look holy, they act holy, they do those holy things. But Jesus goes, no, you have to do better than them. Now, at first, when you would hear that, you'd go, there's no way I can be better than a scribe and a Pharisee. But the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is that their righteousness didn't come from within. Their righteousness was only focused on that which was on the outside. Now, last week, we finished off a section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6, and we talked about where are we focusing. What are we spending our time thinking about? What are we spending our time worrying about? What keeps us you know, up late at night and gets us up early? And one, the point that we emphasized was this. Focusing on the wrong things in life will bring us stress, but focusing on the right things will bring us purpose, our theme you know, for the entire year. And what we laid out at the end of our lesson last week is our purpose as a child of God, as a citizen of Christ's kingdom, is to seek Him. After he lays out everything about, don't worry about tomorrow, don't be anxious for what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, don't store treasures on earth, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first, number one, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And then he says, and don't worry about anything else, verse 34, just worry about seeking him first. Well, this morning, we're going to go into the next chapter of this sermon, and I know you understand these chapter breaks were not there. Uh, in the original, this is a continuous thought. Chapters and verses are therefore our reference so that you can know where I'm reading. Well, Jesus kind of takes a pause in this sermon. It's like it, it takes a deep breath, you might say. He ends this section of don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take uh, care of itself. And then you can almost imagine a, a pause for a second as people hang on those words. And maybe there's some murmuring going on over here. Maybe there's some Pharisees and scribes over here that are thinking some thoughts that Jesus, of course, would pick up on. And in the midst of that sermon, he gives us a verse that I would say is probably the most quoted verse you'll ever hear. You would think that it's John 3.16, but really the verse I hear quoted more often than not is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which is the words of Jesus. So he takes a pause in the sermon and then you can picture a breath, and he says, Judge not that ye be judged. Right? And that's, our, that's how it's usually quoted, King James English. A, a newer version says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, it's almost like he takes a turn. You're like, well, Jesus, you've been, been laying it on hard, telling us we need to, this is true righteousness. Don't worry about these things. Seek you first. I can't serve God and I can't serve mammon or I can't serve God and I can't serve wealth. He lays all that out there. 
And then Jesus says, don't judge, is basically what he says. Now this morning what I want us to do is dig into that and ask the question of why. Why did Jesus make this statement? What is he trying to tell us here? How can we properly apply this passage? And how is it sometimes misapplied? We'll we'll deal with all of that. But the one point, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this one point. Because the one point I want you to get by the end of this lesson is this. When you spend all your time judging others, you'll never have time to fix yourself. That is so important for us to understand. Have you ever met somebody that always like deflects everything? You know, you point out something wrong and then they tell you what you're doing wrong or what everybody else is doing wrong or what society is doing wrong, right? We do that sometimes. What I want us to see today is when you spend all your time, and if I spend all of my time, and if we as a church spend all of our time only focusing on what others are doing, We can deflect, we can avoid, we can not follow God, and as we do that, we'll never have time to fix ourselves. See, deflection and deception is a tool of the devil. He wants us to be so fixated on everybody else's issues that we never deal with ourselves. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and I'll read this section, then we'll break it down as we follow along. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, right off the bat, anytime you take a Bible verse and just quote it by itself, you're probably going to get into trouble. Bible verses make up paragraphs, paragraphs make up pages, pages make up books, you know, books make up different genres of literature. You have to understand things, how they flow. So he explains what he means a little bit here in this passage. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Okay. So I shouldn't judge if I don't want to be judged. And then he explains, for in the way you judge, so the standard of measure, right? For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What's he condemning here? What does that, when you uh, hold someone else accountable to a standard different than the standard you're holding yourself to, We call that something, don't we? We call it hypocrisy. That's what it is. It's hypocrisy. You know, a a parent might tell you, well, well, do what I say, not as I do. That's bad parenting. You have to set the example. You need to be consistent. If, If we were up here preaching and teaching, follow God's word in this way, but we weren't doing that, that's hypocrisy. It's mask wearing. It's really kind of the idea of that word. It's being two-faced. It's faking it. It's saying, I'm going to judge you for all these things, but don't even think about questioning me in those areas. I'm going to talk. That's why it's so horrible. And that's why it always gets the news when, let's say, a, a religious leader has some kind of a scandal. Because they're supposed to be preaching this message of, of faithfulness, of, of loving others, of, of morality and not immorality. And when all of a sudden there's this scandal that happens, it, it's kind of earth shattering because they were preaching one thing and living their life differently. I mean, we expect it from movie stars. We expect it from musicians. We expect it from politicians half the time. But when it comes to supposed moral leaders, it's not supposed to be there. The scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is specifically, I think, rebuking in this passage were famous for this. They would bind heavy burdens on people, 
place requirements on other people that they wouldn't require of themselves. That's hypocrisy. They would look a certain way on the outside, but on the inside they were rotten, and they would spend all their time judging the actions of others and never looking at themselves. Let's continue. Verse 3, he makes this illustration. And my graphic for it up here, it's kind of gross. But I think Jesus' illustration is intended to be shocking. Okay? He, 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 he makes it kind of ludicrous to draw us in. He says, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? So you picture a person, hey, it's a dusty climate. They're walking the, the dirt roads there of Judea. And dust gets kicked up, tiny piece of grass, tiny speck gets in, you know, somebody's eye. Have you ever had that happen? I remember there's been times before, well, I have to tell Z, I'm holding my eyelid. Zinni, I think I got something in my eye. Will you look at my eye? Because I have wine like that, right? You know, come look at my eye, and she's trying to pick it out, okay? The illustration is your brother has a tiny speck in their eye. You know, a, a, little, a little eyelash that's stuck in there, some, a little piece of dirt, a little grain. And you walk up and you're, and you're pointing out, brother, you got to get that speck out of your eye. Uh, there's something in your eye. I can see it. I mean, I have all those little jeweler microscope, little magnifying glass things, but I can see it there, brother. Let me get that out of you. And your brother is stepping back in complete horror and shock because you got a stick sticking out of your eye, a beam, a log jammed in it. It's designed to be shocking, but we're so focused on the speck of what everybody else is doing wrong that we can't see that there's this giant log in our own eye. That's hypocrisy. I'm going to tell you how you're doing. You're, you're parenting wrong. You're a, here's how you're being a bad husband. Here's how you're being a bad wife. Here's how your kids are bad. Here's how the way you're acting is bad. Here's why you shouldn't watch this show and you shouldn't do that. But I'm never once looking at this giant sin in my life. Right? I mean, it'd be like telling somebody, hey, no, you need to be careful to, to be modest, but yet you're addicted to internet pornography. It's that kind of idea, right? It's this glaring hypocrisy that everybody else sees. The idea of the log in your eye is something that's noticeable. Everybody sees the log. He goes on, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye. And then, if you didn't believe me when I said this is hypocrisy, Jesus said it. Verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How in the world can we focus on a tiny flaw in someone else if we got this glaring fault in us that everybody sees but we refuse to acknowledge. And that's the key right here. These people here, they're not even acknowledging that there's a beam there. You know, they're trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye, and that person is going, uh, there's, there's a log in your eye. You go, no, 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 there's nothing there. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever said something like that? There's no problem. There's nothing wrong. Oh, don't bother. Don't ignore that. Don't ask that question. That's not a big deal. That's none of your business, right? Oh, don't mind your own business. That's my log. No. You don't live like that. That is hypocrisy, and that's what Jesus is condemning here. We can't be so focused on other people that we ignore the giant sins in our own lives. Now, I know right now you're thinking, well, I thought there is no big sins, Cliff. Okay, 
Jesus is making an illustration. Illustrations are not always, you know, black and white kind of thing. Does someone actually have a log in there? I know they're not. Is there such a thing as big sin, little sin? No, but there is such a thing as big hypocrisy and, you know, sin. And you can be such a hypocrite that you're blind to that fact, but you're so in tune to everybody else's problems, you spend all your time judging them, talking about what they're doing wrong, and you don't deal with your own problems. We're guilty of this sometimes as a church. And, and I know it's ever taught a Bible class or something. Sometimes a discussion can turn into this. Maybe, maybe we're not going to talk about individuals, but we talk about uh, other beliefs and other groups and things. And we spend all of our time talking about what everybody else is doing wrong. I've been in church programs before where every preacher was talking about everything else that's going wrong in every place else except right here. First off, my job as a preacher here is to not talk about what's going wrong every place else is to deal with what's wrong here. But even in my own life, my job isn't to always talk about what everybody else is doing wrong, but to fix the wrongs in my own life. The point we need to see this morning is when you spend all your time judging others, you will never have time to fix yourself. You know, there's all sorts of psychological terms for this and all that. You ever heard like, like narcissism and, and that kind of idea? This goes along with it. You think there's nothing wrong with you. It's everybody else's problem. It's society's problem. I'm the one who is right. And what I see in Scripture time after time again is that the devil loves that when we deceive ourselves. It's a tool of the devil. And what happens is we inflate our own estimation of ourselves. We puff up our chest just like the scribes and the Pharisees. And we become fault finders in everybody else. And we never find fault in ourselves. So the point for us then is we, as churches and as individuals need to spend more time removing logs instead of looking for specks. We need to spend more time looking at our own faults and where we can make improvement and not the faults of others. Now, that's what Jesus deals with here. Now, I know there's a lot of questions that arise with you. are like, well, what about this? What about that? So, so Cliff, is it wrong to judge? Because now let's talk about how this verse is normally used. Because the way the verse is normally used is not how Jesus is using it here. Here's how it's normally used. I preach a sermon, and I stand up, and I'll say something like, it's wrong for someone to cheat on their wife. How dare you judge me? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not? Or I stand up, and I say, this is a sin, or, or you, this is a sin, or that's wrong, or this is right, or this is what God wants, and someone says, but you're judging doesn't Jesus condemn that in this passage? Jesus is not concerned here with, with speaking out against what is wrong. He's not concerned with us here necessarily even talking about what the Bible says about a particular topic. He's talking about hypocrisy. Speaking against sin is not condemned in this passage. What is condemned in this passage is hypocrisy. He's not even telling you not to help your brother with the speck. He just says, how are you going to help him with the speck if the log is in your own eye? You can't see clearly. Your eyesight's messed up. Fix your own eyesight, focus on the right things, and then you can deal with that sin. 
Um, because speaking against sin isn't condemned. Self-deception and self-righteousness is what is condemned in this passage. And let me prove that to you just real quick, because someone ever says, well, this verse says you can't speak out against something. Just read ahead. If you look at verse 6, it's holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under your feet, under their feet, and turn and tear you into pieces. Now, we're not going to get into that verse today, but he's talking about not wasting your time on bad soil, that kind of stuff. How are you going to know if someone's swine or a dog here? You make a judgment call. You, you, you judge a situation. Look at the next section here. If you go down to verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's judging. He literally is calling something a false prophet. And then he goes on and says, you can know if someone is a false prophet by, by their fruits. So there's nothing wrong with identifying sin. It's biblical to go, that's a false prophet. It's biblical to go, that is sinful. It's biblical to say, that is wrong. It's biblical to go to someone you love and care about and say, you need to stop this, I'm worried about your soul. That's biblical. It's what Jesus wants us to do. It's good and it is righteous. What is condemned in this passage is being self-righteous and self-deceived and spending all your time talking about other people and what they're doing wrong and not trying to fix yourself. Jesus says you can know those that are false by their fruits. You can judge that. Let's make sure we also judge our own fruits. Again, the point is this, when you spend all your time judging others, you'll never have the time to fix yourself. Let's make sure that we're people that work on self first, not in a selfish way. I, I don't like that mentality. Sometimes people go, well, right now I'm just working on self. Well, be careful with that because that could be selfishness. However, we need to make sure we get our house in order. We need to make sure we get our lives in order. We need to make sure we clean up the sins in our lives. As churches, we need to make sure we clean up the sins in churches. If there are things we can do better, we need to focus on those. If not, what we do is we focus on everybody else, and after a while, you deceive yourself into thinking, hey, I, I got everything figured out. I'm doing everything right. It's everybody else who's wrong. They can't see clearly. Clearly, I can see. And there's a beam right there in our peripheral vision that we're ignoring. Throughout this sermon, Jesus has showed us time after time again that he wants us to be changed from the inside out. Allow him to change you, change yourself, avoid this and change your heart, live lives of holiness. Yes, Jesus wants us to live righteous lives, but the righteousness starts from within. We're not going to get more righteous by focusing on the unrighteousness of others. We have to start with cleaning up ourselves. Or maybe to put it plainly, if that didn't make any sense, don't deflect, repent. Really. When, when, when you're called out on sin, when you see something wrong in your life, maybe you're reading scripture, I need a change. You hear a lesson and, and you're pricked to the heart and you go, I need a change. Instead of deflecting and going, no, 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 everybody else is wrong, repent. The word repent literally means to turn. Repent. Instead of deflecting, and say, well, let me fix everybody else first. No, repent. Don't hold others to a standard different than what you hold yourself to. Be a person that is consistent 
Be a person that lives a righteous life. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't hold others accountable to a standard that you're not going to hold yourself to. And don't spend all of our time focusing on others because when we do that, we will never find the time to fix ourselves. Now, here's what happens with a lesson like this. And this is funny because I'll preach a lesson like this and any other preacher will or teacher or anything else. And afterwards, you know, people shake the preacher's hand and they say, good job. And I'll hear this phrase sometimes. And none of you would ever be guilty of this, I'm sure. But other, other places and other churches um, would say something like, that was a good sermon. There are some people here that really needed to hear that. You know what that is? That's exactly what Jesus is condemning. There are, there are some people that really need to hear this. I'm glad so-and-so heard this. And have you ever noticed that? And people are looking over at so-and-so, making sure so-and-so is paying attention. This lesson is for Cliff. This lesson is for Curtis. This lesson is for all the elders. This lesson is for all of us, okay? Not for the person next to you. The lesson is for you. The lesson is for me. Let's be people who don't focus just on the sins of others, but focus on cleaning up self. The lesson is yours this morning. In just a moment, Curtis is going to come to the mic and will lead us in, in a song. Let me remind you, though, that you do have an opportunity, and you have an opportunity all the time, not just on Sunday. But you have an opportunity today that if you need to stop deflecting and start repenting, we want to help you. We'll pray with you. We'll get you a Bible study. Uh, we'll baptize you into Jesus. If you've learned about that, you're ready to do that. We'll, we want to help you. And talk to us anytime. Maybe, maybe today uh, you you're, you're still need to study more, but talk to us afterwards. Talk to one of us in the foyer. Give us a call. Hit us up online. We want to help you know Jesus. We're not perfect. This lesson, I mean, one of those things is it's, it's, you don't have to wait to be perfect to follow God. None of us are. Yes, all of us got specs, and some of us have beams in our eye, too. We're trying to work out. But with Jesus, we can. We can get out of those sins, and we can find redemption and forgiveness. We can find hope. We can find grace. If you're here this morning and, and you need help, I'll be up here for about the first verse of the song, and I'll also be in the foyer after we dismiss. But right now, let's stand and let's sing. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating, and God bless.